This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. You know, I'm, if, if you're not sure what a licensed insolvency trustee does and who they are, this is the perfect segment for you. Um, tens of thousands of Canadians get help on a regular basis, annual basis. Lots of people, though, still don't know what a licensed insolvency trustee is. So we are so fortunate that Blair, who happens to be Senior Vice President of Sands & Associates and a licensed insolvency trustee, is going to explain what exactly he does and how he can help you uh, if you're wanting a plan to get out of debt. Hey, Blair. Hello, Elaine. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. So let's, good. can we just start with the basics of uh, who uh, or what a licensed insolvency trustee is and, and how you're different from everyone else? Certainly. And, and it's a question I'm really happy to answer. I think if anyone's listening and, and you know, feeling a bit self-conscious, I don't know what a, this licensed insolvency trustee thing is, I, would, I wouldn't feel that way because I am a trustee. And until I started the process of becoming one, I hadn't really heard about this, um, this type of a professional either. And I think it's upwards of, you know, 70% of people in Canada, they've got a really uh, either a base, you know, very surface level understanding of how a bankruptcy or a proposal works. And it's probably even higher than that of people knowing who the actual professional is that would help you through a proceeding like that. So what a licensed insolvency trustee is, is previously we were known as bankruptcy trustees or trustees in bankruptcy. So the term licensed insolvency trustee didn't even exist prior to 2017. So you might have heard of trustees in bankruptcy or things like that. It's essentially the same thing. The government changed uh, the nomenclature or the name here just to make it more clear that trustees in bankruptcy or licensed insolvency trustees do a whole lot more than just administer bankruptcy proceedings. There's about a thousand trustees in Canada and and they're the only professionals endorsed by the federal government to legally help you with your debt. Okay, now I know that this question uh, isn't on these specific notes, but what kind of education does one have to have to become a, a licensed insolvency trustee? Yeah, that's a great question, Elaine. So of the thousand trustees uh, that are in Canada, the vast majority of them uh, are chartered professional accountants or CPAs as well. Um, so generally, there's at least one other professional designation a trustee would have. Uh, myself, I'm not a CPA, but I'm a certified management consultant or a CMC. So most trustees have one other professional designation and also a university degree. So once you graduated from university, you've gotten your first designation generally. To become a trustee, uh, it takes between three to five years uh, of some self-study programs, some exams administered by the federal government on an annual basis where the pass rates are, are quite low because they're quite difficult. And then at the end of the whole proceeding, uh, you have to sit an oral exam uh, with a trustee, with a lawyer, with a judge, with a representative from the government, everybody grilling you essentially, because the powers that a trustee has, they're not trivial. They're, you know, they're the ability um, to give somebody their wages back if their wages are being seized. They're the ability to help somebody you know, get out from under, whether it's 10000 a 100000 or a million dollars of debt that might be holding them back, a trustee is the person that's going to help you legally navigate uh, the Canadian system to help you get a fresh start and turn things around. So it's really highly regulated. Your profession is very highly regulated. 
Absolutely. And that's a big factor on how LITs are different from other debt health professionals that you might see out there. Um, so there's a very long and rigorous course of study that I've mentioned. Um, and then also you've got extensive regulations from the superintendent of bankruptcy, um, standards of professional practice and codes of ethics. So for anybody out there um, who's not sure about what a trustee is or if you can trust them, well, it's right in the name, of course, but uh, aside from a flippant <laughs> joke there, uh, you know, you've got all the power of the Canadian government behind this empowered professional and you've got a regulatory body that if you did have a dispute, there's the ability to have you know, the dispute adjudicated to, to the satisfaction of all parties. Now, and there's some things that you can do that nobody else can do. And I know you've already sort of touched on that, but specifically there's some big differences. Yeah, I think a couple that are really important to highlight, Elaine, especially if somebody is listening and say, okay, well, so this trustee, what can a trustee do that somebody else can't? Well, right off the top, a trustee is the only person that can ever help you deal with government debt. So if there's debts such as income taxes to Canada Revenue Agency, student loans, federal or provincial, um, ICBC debts, those are the types of debts that, you know, no matter what, if you can't pay them in full, um, you're not going to be able to work out a deal with those creditors unless you're working through a trustee, either through making a proposal or filing for a personal bankruptcy. So it's really important if you have those types of debts that you come straight to a trustee because otherwise you're wasting time and money on a professional that just wouldn't be able to help you. Um, you know, another Another really key factor of why trustees are different and you know essentially why you should have some trust um, is that the fees and costs are strictly set by law so everything you do with the trustee um, you know the initial consultation is always at no cost and we'll talk about that a little bit later but whatever proceeding you do if it's a bankruptcy or if it's a consumer proposal the amounts that you pay are fully transparent the fees are transparent they're the same across Canada all set by the government so you really don't need to be worried about getting taken advantage of which if you're dealing with consumer debt you know sometimes there is, um, you know, some, some people that are playing fast and loose with the rules and you find extra charges or things like that. You'll never find that with a trustee. Okay. So I know that you, have, your organization, uh, Sands and Associates, as well as licensed insolvency trustees across the country, help tens, literally tens of thousands of people. Um, when or who are those people? When is the time for me to come and see you? Yeah, the quick answer, Elaine, is come see a trustee sooner than you think you should. Um, the heartbreaking part of my job is when people come to me for an initial consultation, they often tell me about the two years prior, and it's generally about two years, where they were suffering, they were anxious, they weren't sleeping, they weren't eating, you know, they were concerned about providing for their family, and they just didn't know where to reach out for help, or they thought there was no help available to them. So, you know, essentially, if you're concerned at all about your debts, or if you're just looking for a better way to manage them, there's no downside to connecting with a licensed insolvency trustee. Um, a trustee is impartial. They're going to review all of your debt options. And you know, even if you don't need a trustee's help, things aren't so severe that you need to do a proposal or, or even a bankruptcy. You're going to walk away knowing a whole lot more than when you walked in the door, pretty well guaranteed. And that could also give you the help, uh, sort of give you the ability to help others who are in your life who might be having difficulty with money. So there's no need to wait until your situation has reached such a critical point. You know, the wolf's at the door, um, you know, the, your wages are being seized. Of course, if that's happening, you should be reaching out to a trustee. But if you just have some general discomfort, um, some anxiety, you're looking at your bills every month, you're paying the minimums, but you know the next 50 years are going to look a lot the same because the debts aren't going down, um, that's when it's time to reach out for a free debt consultation to sit down with the trustee. Okay, so thanks for saying that word free, because that was my next question. What's it going to cost? 
Yeah, and that, and that's something that should be crystal clear in consumers' minds. You will never get an invoice for a fee for service for a trustee. You know, it's not the case you pick up the phone and call a trustee and the clock is running at, you know, a few hundred dollars an hour or whatever a lawyer might charge. It's not that way. So uh, generally, if someone reaches out to a trustee, the first consultation is always free. Uh, at Sands & Associates, typically there's at least three consultations before we're making a formal filing because we want to give you the chance all your questions are answered, get all the correct information. So when we're preparing documents, they're completely accurate and at no point are you paying for any of that professional assistance so if someone I've met with three or four times and you know given a lot of professional insight and help them figure out you know what the best option for you is to try to get a consolidation loan or to adjust your budget or to try to negotiate informally with your creditors they won't pay me a penny for that advice and I'm fine with that the vast majority of people that come in to see us we can provide them with some excellent information direct them to resources and the few that do need to file a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy uh, the fees paid as part of that they basically cover the entire operations and allow us to provide uh, free service even to those who don't need our services. Well, so let's say um, I'm just in a position where I'm, I'm starting to think about taking some kind of action. What are the kinds of things that I need to keep in mind if I'm starting to research uh, to get some help with my debt? Those are great questions, Elaine, and, and it's it's definitely the case this is a bit of a murky area, especially if you start to research online. You'll see there's a ton of individuals that claim to be able to help you with your debts, and some of them will actively say, you know, don't go see a trustee, come to see us first. So I think it is important that you have a bit of a lens, some criteria on how you're going to evaluate whether someone can actually help you get out of debt. Uh, you know, some key things to consider, you know, number one is licensing. And we've talked about this a little bit, um, but you need to understand, even if someone has, you know, a pretty good Better Business Bureau, that doesn't mean you're dealing with a properly licensed professional. You should ask them, are you, are you licensed by the federal government to help me get out of debt? And unless you're dealing with a trustee, the answer will be no. They might say, well, we've got some internal licensing or some, you know, uh, professional accreditation that all the credit counselors get together or something like that. But if there's no federal government license, that should start to raise your alarm bells a little bit saying, well, you know, what's my recourse here if things do go wrong? If this is just a self-regulating industry body of, you know, basically comprised of the members, um, you're not going to have the same protections as if someone is licensed by the federal government. So that's a great one to start off with is just to ask the person, are you licensed? Okay. You know, a second factor to consider is costs. So, you know, we've said pretty explicitly, you're never going to pay a fee to deal with the trustee until and unless you're executing on a formal proceeding to restructure the debt. But all the upfront advice, the consultations, the investigations, all that's going to be free to help you figure out your way forward. You may need to make sure you understand clearly if you're dealing uh, with someone who may or may not be a trustee, you know, what is the fee structure? You know, when am I going to be paying you and how much? Um, you know, am I going to be paying you regardless of whether you're able to help me settle my debt or move forward? Or do you get paid only if you make a successful recovery on my debts? So there's a bunch of questions that you should be asking. But, you know, the basic one is, well, how do you get paid and what's in it for you as the professional trying to help me, the person that's in debt? And not everybody will work with just anybody to help me either, right? That's exactly true, Elaine. So uh, as we mentioned a little bit previously, debts going to the government, whether it's ICBC, whether it's income taxes or student loans, those will never, and again, never is the operative word, will never reach a settlement with anybody other than a licensed insolvency trustee. So you know, if the majority of your problem is income taxes, student loans, ICBC, or things like that, you're essentially spinning your wheels if you're dealing with someone that's not a trustee because they won't have any ability to help you deal with those debts. 
what's also really important to realize when you're dealing with a trustee is a trustee has the power to bind creditors and essentially force them to take a deal, even if not everybody agrees. And this is really important, so I want to make sure I explain it clearly. If you're doing a consumer proposal, for example, and you've got some income tax debt, you've got some student loans, and you've got some credit card debt, let's say that the credit card companies really love the proposal that you've made. It's a reasonable settlement. They want to accept it. But income tax and student loans, they're not so sure they don't want you to pay more. The way a consumer proposal works is all we need to get on board is half of your debt. So 50% by dollar value, and then all of the other creditors are forced to participate in the same proposal settlement. So that's only something that a trustee can do if you're dealing informally with a debt counselor or an advisor or something like that. They need every creditor to agree individually. They can't protect you using the law. A trustee can protect you. All we need is 50% of your debts to agree to a plan, and the others are dragged along even if it's against their will. Got it. So I think the key is, and we're just going. I'm just going to wrap up this segment, Blair. And I know that we didn't touch on all the content. First of all, I want to mention that your website is terrific. It's got so much good information at sands-trustee.com. So if we didn't answer your question, or I didn't answer your ask your question in this segment, check out their website. It's chock a block full of great information. And the other thing is, if this information's resonating with you in any way, give them a call one eight hundred six six one thirty thirty. That's Sands and associates and get that free consultation and to find an office near you. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we talk about, check out their website if you get a chance, sands-trustee.com. We're going to figure out what kind of debts or learn about which types of debts can be settled using different debt management solutions. And Blair has so much good information um, just talking about very common debts and how they can be dealt with using different ways, as well as some of the scenarios that you might be facing or you might be facing right now while you're looking for per, uh, for per- professional debt help. Uh, Blair, you and your team at Sands and Associates talk with folks every day who are looking for solutions. What kind of what are some of the challenges that the that the people you talk to are are facing each day? And I'm sure there's I'm sure there's some some commonality for that. Yeah, there absolutely is, Elaine, and it, it's such an interesting job being a licensed insolvency trustee because every day is completely different because every individual is completely different, every story, every family situation. There definitely are certain you know broad categories that bring people to us, um, but essentially it's why I enjoy doing this job is because every day I'm going to have you know a new situation I haven't seen before where we have to try to find a solution. The most common causes of debt that tend to bring people to see a trustee, and we study our client base every year. We put out the BC Consumer Debt debt study. Um, So if you go onto Google, BC Consumer Debt Study, you'll find just about the last seven years some insights that we've gleaned um, from our our experience of helping individuals with their debts. And the top three reasons people come to see a trustee, the number one is overextension of credit or financial mismanagement. So there's a little bit of, you know, self-blaming of taking responsibility, but essentially I got too much credit. Maybe I got it too young, too early in life. And I've just, it's, it's taken on a life of its own. I'm paying interest on interest. I'm just not getting out from under it. So just basic overextension of credit and inability to keep up on payments is number one. 
Uh, you know, number two is job related. So if there's been an income interruption, uh, if there's been a job loss, if maybe someone's been rehired uh, at a lower wage than before, um, you know, all of those things can really impact a person's ability to service. A debt load that might have been manageable before now has become impossible. And the third one uh, is essentially another life event. So illness, injury, or health related. So if someone, through again, no fault of their own, suffers an injury or an illness or something that really interrupts their, their in- income earning ability, you know, yeah, it's great we've got free health care in Canada, but no one replaces your income, even disability benefits, you know, usually at best they pay out two thirds and quite, quite often many people don't have access to, you know, private disability benefits. So they might be on government disability, which, you know, could be just north of 1000 or $1,100, which in the province of BC can be very difficult to live on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those are the three broad categories of why people tend to come to see a trustee. You know, there's there's other secondary categories. You know, divorce is obviously a large driver of people having financial difficulties. Um, but, you know, everyone that comes to see us, it's usually because they're experiencing some discomfort on their debt. You know, it's often it's overwhelming stress. Maybe it's just looking at the minimum payments each month and feeling depressed about them. It could be collection calls. It could be they've been turned down for a bank consolidation loan um, all the way through, you know, their bouncing checks, their phones ringing off the hook with collectors or they're being taken to court. So it could be running the full gamut of, you know, just a little bit of discomfort to you do nothing else than think about your debts. It's that, you know, that uh, dominant of a factor in your life. And I know that you've talked about this before, that that people suffer, can often suffer for a, a significant period of time before they take some steps. Yeah, it's, you know, I think it was might have been Abraham Lincoln that's attributed to this quote. I don't know if he said it or not, but, you know, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you think you know that just ain't so. And, and that is so true when it comes to debt, because when I sit down with people and I start to explain to them, you know, first off for Canada Revenue Agency debt, the amount of times I'm told, I know you guys can't do anything with Canada Revenue Agency debt, nobody can deal with government debt, you have to just deal with that on your own. Um, that's one of those things, you might think you know it, but that just ain't so. Absolutely, exactly. Canada Revenue Agency debt can be dealt with by a trustee, we're the only professionals that can deal with it in Canada. So, you know, if people have false assumptions that there's just no hope for their situation, um, seeing a trustee is usually going to bash those assumptions wide open pretty quickly and see, you know, there are solutions. Canada insolvency legislation is amongst the best in the world to get people back on their feet. And one thing about uh, Canada Revenue Agency, I always think, oh, come on, all you need to do is pay your income tax and, and, and deal with it, like what's holding you up. But that's not the case usually, is it? There's a, it's a complicated situation for some folks. Absolutely. You know, the vast majority, well over 90% of Canadians, they pay their balance in full every year to CRA, or maybe they get a small refund. Uh, But it can get very complicated if you're self-employed. So many of the times I see somebody who's self-employed, and maybe they had a new accountant they hadn't tried out before, they had to switch, and that accountant made some mistakes or tried to use a deduction that wasn't allowed. And it's not the accountant that wears the liability at the end of the day, it's the individual taxpayer. Uh, You know, quite often I see people who've maybe taken on a second or even a third job sometimes to try to make ends meet and they hadn't realized that now that extra income pushes them into a higher tax bracket so when they're filed their taxes at the end of the year they've got a balance owing and they haven't been putting money aside because they weren't anticipating it Uh, you know a final factor here with canada revenue agency is you know there's no 
crash course that's required uh, when you become self-employed. There's nobody that sits you down and says, you know, here's how it's going to work. You should put this money aside. You should remit your GST. You have to go out and, you know, either get the advice or figure it out on your own. So a lot of people that become self-employed, they maybe for the first few years don't adhere to all the requirements, maybe don't collect the GST that they should, and then they end up with a large balance to CRA. They just can't pay in any other way. So it's not too difficult, really, to get in trouble with CRA, especially if you are self-employed. And I think the self-employment, the the number of people who are self-employed these days, I think that grows on a regular basis just because of technology and how many people can work from home and be contract players and and all of that. There's a, I think there's a growing number of people who are doing just that. Yeah, the gig economy and whatnot. Sometimes it's taking two or three jobs to to, to do what one full-time job might have done a generation ago. The one thing that we can't forget about Canada Revenue Agency is that it's an unbelievably powerful creditor. Yeah, CRA absolutely stands alone in the powers that they have and the fact that they don't need to go to court and give you notice about what they're going to do. So if you're delinquent with, with CRA, they can freeze your bank account you know, literally overnight. If you're self-employed, they can issue to your clients the requirement that they pay their monies to CRA and not to you. They can seize wages, put charges on real estate. So it's important that you deal with CRA sooner rather than later because once they've started to put these charges against you, it's pretty tough to get out from under it. Um, a trustee can help you stop any of that from happening in the first place. What about ICBC debt? Yeah, ICBC debt is essentially government debt. So it's the same as with CRA. There's no statute of limitations. There's no waiting it out. Um, ICBC is not going to make a deal with you to reduce the amounts payable. They might say, well, we'll do a small payment plan for the rest of your life, but that's really not going to help you out if you owe them a bunch of money. And quite often, if you owe ICBC a lot of money, they'll start stopping to to allow you to renew your license, which for some people, that can cut off their income earning ability. So seeing a trustee, one of the first things we'll do if someone has an ICBC debt is we'll communicate with ICBC and just confirm what's the nature of the debt. If this person does a proposal or a bankruptcy, would it be discharged? And in just about every case that I've ever seen, you know, a few exceptions might be if someone was driving drunk and it resulted in someone losing their life, that could be difficult to get out from that debt. But just about every other debt can be dealt with as part of a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal with ICBC. Now, you mentioned this when we first started this segment. We just have a little bit of time left here as well. You talk about life event debt and dealing with that. Yeah, so just in, in you know a few seconds here, the biggest impact from a life event is typically a divorce or a separation. And the reasons for that is, you know, quite often the couples typically haven't been managing their finances as closely as they should have been if their relationship is starting to fray at the edges or dissolve. And then there could be some costly legal proceedings and then the cost of reestablishing two households compared to one. So it's quite often, you know, bankruptcy doesn't cause divorce. It's not that direct causation, but divorce can often cause a bankruptcy, the financial hangover of splitting up a relationship can be very significant and a trustee can help you deal with the debt and get back on track. One of the best things about Sands and Associates is that you can go and sit down and, and talk with someone like Blair or this any of the staff they have at all of their office throughout British Columbia and get some answers that you need. It's easy to do. Here's the 1-800 number. It's 1-800-661-3030. Get that free consultation. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. 
I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Hey, for information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to the website, sands-trustee.com. On the line with us, Angela Calla. So for the CKNW audience, you know Angela well. She's been uh, here on CKNW for many years, has on her radio show called The Mortgage Show, and uh, also author of a terrific book that's that's done incredibly well. It's called The Mortgage Code. And I want to read the the uh, the subtitle, and this is, I think, key, Helping You Move Up the Property Ladder, Get the Best Mortgage, Avoid Costly Mistakes, and Save Money. Angela, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, we're really happy that you're able to slot us in because we know you're you're busy, busy person. Um, the, in this segment, we wanted to talk about uh, just the really good lessons that people can learn um, by reading the mortgage code, and of course, that all is determined by your vast experience in the business. So we're, like I say, we're just so happy that you're available to talk about it. Oh, thank you. You know, it's a pleasure of mine to be able to empower Canadians to help them really understand how to make good decisions and understand how to get the options that are out there working for them. And I've always believed, and when I became a mortgage broker over 16 years ago now, when you learn what institutions aren't telling you, you're really able to make good decisions. But you can't do that unless you're working with someone who doesn't have a bias. And so as an independent mortgage professional, we work to protect your credit score because we only use one application to shop your mortgage with multiple lenders. And we actually tell you all the pros and all the cons of all the different institutions. And you get additional access to lenders that are not available to the public that have much better terms that save you money year after year. So when life happens, as it happens to all of us, we get ill, we acquire outside debt, we have things come up, then we have the ability to have our mortgage help us by being with the best lender to begin with for our circumstances. Or if we've had scenarios where our credit has taken a little bit um, of a season off where it's not mm-hmm. as, as healthy as we hope it to be, then we have the opportunity to, to shop lenders that ha- can understand that and provide us solutions to help us live our best life. So I look at this book as a holistic approach to see how you can utilize what you have to help you live your best life in terms of a mortgage and your overall financial wellness. I think there, there's so many great points that you made there, Angela, about working with a mortgage broker. And I hope listeners are paying close attention because, yeah, just the, the impact of only having one single credit report, being able to shop to multiple lenders, all that's great. And we're going to talk about that in, in our segment today a little bit. Uh, I'm just curious in terms of the book, Angela, who is the book really aimed at? So who would be the target consumer of, of someone for the mortgage code? Anybody who, well, it's interesting that you say that because the most recent review I got on the book was a single mom who is renting right now. Her credit was not good. She was in a relationship where her partner, her boyfriend, had um, credit cards under her name that he was utilizing, and she's renting, and she wanted to look at how she could ever buy a home. Mm -hmm. She thought that home ownership would be way out of reach for her. And when she read my book, she felt totally empowered to understand that home ownership is possible for anyone if that's a goal of yours. It's just about setting up a plan on how to do it. So this book tells you how to establish credit. This book tells you how the lenders are reviewing the application. It tells you what your responsibilities are as a borrower and how your mortgage can be utilized as a well tool. And in her words, 
She loved it. She wished she got this in school. And as soon as her son is in double digits, she's going to insist that he reads it. Because uh, anyone who knows a little bit about finance knows the the compound principle, the power of 72. And the sooner that we can empower Canadians to learn about financial literacy, the more empowered they are to be able to make better decisions for their life. So I would say um, anybody who obviously has a mortgage or wants to get a mortgage, but also right now we're actually doing financial literacy training like with the Coquitlam Express, the junior hockey team. So these people are 16 and 17 years old, but they can actually look at this plan and instead of listening to everyone saying, oh, I don't know how to get into the market, they can look at this and say, you know what? Um, my rent's going to be 19.50 a month. If I want to own a place for that amount, I need to save $500 a month for four years and I can own a home. So it's really moving the conversation from this can't happen, I can't, I can't get help, to how can it happen? And we're actually doing the top five um, home buying myths on Global Morning News on the 28th related to that as well. So anyone who wants to own a home, anyone who owns a home, or anyone who wants to encourage their teenagers to really look at what it will take for them to own a home. Oh, thank you, Angela. And, and I think it, it's interesting, too, as you, as you speak about, and I've come to know this in my, in my practice here, that mortgage brokers are actually experts on helping you build and repair your credit, which a lot of folks, I think they delay reaching out to a mortgage broker until, hey, I want to go buy a home. But I think you're saying, you know, you can actually have that conversation, get a little bit of guidance on how you can position yourself even for a few years off. If you're looking for a credit building expert, you know, you might not think of a mortgage broker, but from my experience, that's where a lot of the expertise with this lies. It's exactly where it lies because our interest is to help you. So a lot of people think, well, I have to have so much of a down payment or I want to pay off those student loans or, you know, I have to wait for this certain option. But the reality is how they allocate their funds is how we help them determine what the best options are. And people think, oh, well, if I don't have any credit, it's a good thing. And it's not a good thing. They need to have, you know, yeah, three or four trade lines that are actively trading. And how close they are to those balances have an impact as well. And once you have a proactive mortgage broker in your life, we're constantly not only monitoring the mortgage market. So if there's a change in interest rates of of about 0.5 of a percent, or your lifestyle change, you're going to have a baby, you're considering separating, you've had a health issue in the family. We're proactively working on both of those aspects. So market, which you can't control, and lifestyle, which hopefully we can advocate for you and be involved in to have you have control of the options that are out there. So you're not victim to circumstances when it comes to your mortgage. And a lot of people get a mortgage and it's just transactional. But mortgages actually need to be modified and reviewed and proactively managed in order to get the best out of them. And when you have an expert that's working with you, we're going to help ensure that you're always utilizing that to your advantage. And a key example that we just had this week, someone who came in for a home renovation loan and they said, oh, we only want to get X amount. But when we showed them that they should actually get more from our experience, that that wouldn't impact them and that would only empower them to look at different kinds of opportunities and they can put that money back on there if they don't end up using it, they understood it. But people have specific fears or certain things that they've heard from people that they're influenced by. And because the market is changing so rapidly, it's really important that they really get advice from the key source who's doing mortgages on a daily basis before they decide what they think is best for their mortgage. One of the things that sort of keeps popping out for me as you're talking, Angela, is that 
the proactiveness of uh, being a broker, a mortgage broker. It just, it's so uh, the exact opposite of how I think a lot of people, certainly I did, uh, view a bank uh, when you go to a bank to get your mortgage, because that seems to be the norm. I know uh, it's, that that's the first thing that people think about, but the proactiveness, and I think that's one of, probably one of the, the biggest differences between you uh, or, or people who do your work and a bank is, is, am I am I am I right about that or significantly? We are our core values is we're here to save you the most amount of money, and the banks are there to make the most amount of money off of you. Exactly. So we're completely in different night and day. And what the banks don't tell you is they don't tell you their marketing, and they market to you. Um, if you're a good client of theirs, they say, "Oh my goodness." You know, uh, Elaine, you've been a client here for 20 years. When you come to get a mortgage with us, we're going to give you the best discounted rate. You're going to have this private banker that's looking after your mortgage. We're going to give you our posted rate minus 2%. And, hey, we'll even throw in free checking for two years and an iPad. Well, you're feeling pretty good. You feel you feel valued. You feel like you belong. You feel like you're recognized. And that discount is significant. So at that point, you're thinking, wow, I'd be crazy to go anywhere else. Exactly. But what they haven't told you is that that 2% discount is actually going to be used against you when you need to modify your mortgage because seven out of 10 Canadians need to make a mortgage modification within 36 to 42 months of having a mortgage. And just pausing there, Angela, because that blew me away when you first told me that when we sat down. So that percentage of mortgages aren't going to make it to term and we'll be looking at potentially a mortgage penalty. That's right. That's right. And for those that are stuck and can't get out of a mortgage penalty, then unfortunately they pay the ultimate price because they're stuck in a situation where they're usually paying more interest somewhere else or they can't move up the property ladder. And to give you an example, if you as a consumer walk into one of the five major banks and get a fixed rate on a $500,000 mortgage, within that statistic of 7 to 10 and a Canadians, if you happen to fall into that statistic and you need to break your mortgage, then to break that mortgage is going to be anywhere from... Fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollars to break mm-hmm. your mortgage. Wow. That's a crazy amount of money. Mm-hmm. That's right. But that two percent discount felt really good when they were marketing it to you, didn't it? With exactly. The free checking and the iPad. I mean, come on, right? Well, and the other um, thing is, like you mentioned, you know, we're going to throw in this, we're going to throw in that. You've been banking here for twenty years, or ten years, or five years. We know you. You you know us, and that's what gets played on. Uh, but uh, at like as you just described, in the end, it's uh, it's to your detriment. And what they haven't told you is that all the major banks invest in monoline lenders, which only give mortgages to mortgage brokers like myself. And to exit those mortgages on that same five hundred thousand dollar mortgage, you're looking at a five thousand to seventy five hundred dollar penalty instead of the fifteen to twenty five thousand. So it's almost half, or more than half, and, way more than half. And, yeah. And, it, and you're telling me, Angela, this is essentially the bank's same dollars, but they're either loaning yeah. them within the bank at very worse terms for the consumer, or they're loaning them through a monoline that's accessible through a mortgage broker at much better terms for the consumer. Do I understand that right? Exactly. Okay. And so essentially, they're competing against each other, but they're not going to tell you that because if you as a consumer don't know better and go to the bank directly, then that's the price you pay for not knowing. So knowledge is power, which is why I've been so passionate about sharing this message, not only on CKNW and 
global and various outlets, but that's why I really felt that upon 15 years in business, I wanted to come out with this book to really tell all about what you need to know about what you're being marketed to, but what the reality is behind that, what you're not being told, because that's where the real savings and empowerment comes as a consumer. And the thing is, getting a mortgage, just from a layman's point of view, which is where I sort of come in, is that it's a big, scary, huge commitment, uh, and you have a way of boiling it down to not just the nuts and bolts, but the whys and the the where's and how this thing works. Exactly. And there's so many, really it comes down to, does the person that I'm working with, who who I've aligned myself with, does this person have the ability to be a thought leader and know how to utilize any market condition to me as the borrower's advantage? And that's really the difference because products and terms and circumstances are always going to change, but knowing how to handle those changes and who's going to benefit and who could be vulnerable to help those people is really what the key is. We've been talking with Angela Calla. Her book is The Mortgage Code. All the proceeds go to a wonderful charity called Access Youth Outreach Services. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from San... So... We're talking about debt and and how to take it on and how to figure it out. And I know as soon as someone hears the word debt, often bankruptcy is the next thing they think of. Um, And that's what this segment's going to be all about. Lots of folks consider legal debt solutions and personal bankruptcy is sort of their last resort. And this segment's all about Blair's getting an opportunity to explain some of the situations where filing personal bankruptcy might be your best solution. And I have a feeling, Blair, that a couple of people are looking at the radio going, what? My best solution? How How does that work? How does that work? Right. It's so interesting, Elaine, because it's a word that has so much emotional connotations and, you know, bankruptcy. It's a word sometimes when I use it in a meeting, I can just see people's, you know, they suddenly they, they stiffen up or, you know, their face falls or, or something like that. There's just so much emotion that's that's kind of built into it. And a lot of it seems to be based on a flawed understanding of how the process actually works, you know, how difficult it is, you know, even to qualify for how, or to get through. Uh, and people tend to lose sight. You know, a lot of people think, well, bankruptcy is the end of my life. It's a death. Um, the other way to look at it is bankruptcy is the start of your new life. It's a new beginning. It's a rebirth. It's a chance to start over, unburdened by all the death that's really been causing you problems probably for a series of years. So there's no one that walks into my door, you know, yesterday they figured out they've got a debt problem and tomorrow they're going to file for bankruptcy. You know, it's usually a longer term process. They've went through a lot of thinking and considered options. But in some cases, doing a segment like today can really shortcut some of that, you know, consideration or dithering or just not sure about what it entails. There are some situations where a bankruptcy just makes a whole lot of sense um, and people would benefit from taking that step sooner rather than suffering for so long. And what kinds of questions and information do you start to look at when somebody walks in and starts talking about their problem? Yeah, what we're really trying to understand, Elaine, is to get a sense of the whole situation, the whole person, um, understanding that not one size fits all in every situation, and each person requires, you know, a tailored outcome that's going to get them to the best result. So when someone comes in to meet with us, you know, we start off with some pretty basic questions. We try to understand why you're here. So, you know, what caused you to book the meeting with us? Is there a specific debt issue that you're dealing with or a goal you're trying to meet? Are you looking to consolidate your debt? Are you trying to lower your monthly payments? Uh, 
are your wages being seized right now, your assets at risk, and you need to take some drastic action? Or is it just a case you've been making monthly payments for a long time, you're looking at your credit card statements, and it's telling you the next 30 or 40 years, your debts are, that's, that's what's going to take you to pay off even just a few thousand dollars on a credit card, and you know you need to do something different. So when you sit down in that meeting, we'll try to understand your objectives first, and then we'll assess your situation. So we'll need to fill in all the blanks so we can provide you some good advice in terms of understanding who do you owe money to and approximately how much. We don't need to know down to the penny, but you know, having a good sense, you know, I owe these five credit cards, or I've got a student loan bill or a tax bill or something like that, that helps us understand well, what's the size of the debt issue. You need to understand what's your monthly income. So is it the case that there's really no money left for debt payments after the rent's been paid, groceries are paid, the kids are taken care of? Or is there some ability to make payments, just not at the amounts that they want you to, and certainly not at 20 or 30% interest? Uh, we need to understand the household situation. You know, are there kids involved? Are you taking care of maybe elderly family members that are a financial and, and uh, you know, emotional drain that might be as well? Uh, and then are there any other regular household expenses that are constraining the, uh, constraining the household and maybe impacting your ability to make debt payments? So we really want to look at the budget in detail. And then we want to understand, okay, if we've got a sense of the debt outcomes, uh, a sense of your objectives, then we can start to look at what are the right solutions. And in certain situations, personal bankruptcy is a really good solution to get somebody out of debt. But I like the fact that you did put an S on the end of that word solution, because that isn't just the only way to do it. Oh, absolutely, Elaine. You know, by law, a trustee is required to review with you all of your legal options for dealing with debts. You know, some of them just won't apply right off the top, but there's at least six, maybe seven things, you know, just about anybody could do to deal with their debts. You know, everything from taking no action to trying to negotiate informally to trying to consolidate the debt, all those, those things people would know, um, to things that are available through a trustee, like a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy. You know, we've just went through five of the options here, and typically we'll take them through a few others as well. So it's no foregone conclusion. You walk into a trustee and we've got the signature pen ready to sign the bankruptcy documents, we're going to look through every alternative. If bankruptcy is the right option, it'll be after we've eliminated other potential alternatives. Okay, so let's go straight to bankruptcy then. When is bankruptcy the best solution for the person? You know, again, there's a number of factors. Probably the, the biggest one uh, relates to income. So if it's a case that your income is low or it's uncertain, so again, as we, we alluded to earlier, if there's just no money really available to make a settlement offer to your creditors, even paying them part of the debt isn't going to be possible or a meaningful portion, uh, you know, that's a, generally a good indication. Well, maybe bankruptcy is going to be your right, your correct option if you can't make a reasonable settlement on your debts. Uh, if your income fluctuates considerably, so some people that are self-employed, you know, maybe their income isn't documented necessarily, um, or they just wouldn't be able to meet lender standards to consolidate, you know, that can be a bit of a challenge as well. Uh, much of the bankruptcy process, it's not based on the amount of your debts, it's based on your income, and bankruptcy is significantly less expensive if somebody's income is low. So regardless of the amount of the debt, it could be, you know, again, $10,000, $100,000, a million dollars, something like that. Uh, if someone is low income and they file a bankruptcy, and low income in the province of BC means a single person earning less than about $2,200 a month after taxes, bankruptcy runs for nine months, and they're required to just pay the cost of the bankruptcy, which is $200 a month for nine months. So it's a pretty significant reduction usually as to what they would have to pay on their debts. So if income is low, bankruptcy is often your cheapest and your quickest means of dealing with the debts. Okay. What about if you happen to be low income, but you've got some assets? Mm -hmm. 
bankruptcy tends to be more of an attractive situation um, if you have few assets that might be surrendered. Now, if you're low income, you are allowed to keep certain assets if you file for bankruptcy. The government puts in certain exemptions. So someone who's low income might think, you know, I can't go bankrupt because I've got a bunch of furniture, I've got some clothing and medical aids, and I've got a vehicle and things like that. Most of those assets, if not all of them, would be fully exempt if you filed for bankruptcy. Now, where you might not consider a bankruptcy is if you have some assets that would not be exempt. So if you've got you know, a TFSA, uh, tax-free savings account, or an RESP, an education savings plan for your children, if you file for bankruptcy, those assets might have to be surrendered. So bankruptcy can make a whole lot of sense if you have few assets that you would not have to surrender in a bankruptcy. If there are some assets that might have to be surrendered, you might think twice about the proceeding. But that's the whole point of coming to see a trustee is to review in detail what are your assets and how are they going to be treated. Okay. What do lenders consider or do they consider any of this kind of stuff? Well, lenders take, tend to take a look at your credit rating, your income, and your assets. What they don't tend to really take a close look at is your monthly budget. So if you're trying to consolidate and go for a consolidation loan, most of the time the people that I see, they're turned down on those unless they've got an asset that they're able to essentially pledge to a lender. So the lender just cares, are they going to be able to essentially have some security to get paid back? Uh, that's a big difference from a trustee. So if a trustee is going to assist you with your debts, we have to review your budget in detail. We have to assess what reason you're able to pay back on the debts and we're prohibited from putting forth any solution that's going to make you, uh, you know, in a worse financial situation than when you began. So a lender doesn't have to care about your budget. They're more concerned about, your obje- about their objectives. Uh, with a trustee, they have to look closely at your household budget and make sure whatever they do can fit within that. Okay. Now, can we move on from bankruptcy just in the last part of this segment, just a bit and talk a little bit about when you'd consider a consumer proposal over a bankruptcy? Yes, absolutely. So a consumer proposal for anyone listen to the show for a long period of time would know it's the best alternative to help you avoid bankruptcy where you make a settlement on your debt. You pay back usually a quarter to a third of the debt over a period of up to five years, usually a bit shorter than that. So the biggest situations where a consumer proposal uh, would tend to make a whole lot of sense for you is if you have the ability to make those payments. So if you were to look at your debts and say, you know what, I owe $20,000, I definitely can't pay that back, but I could pay back $7,000 if I did that, you know, at $150 a month over a period of maybe 50 months, um, you know, I'd be able to make those payments. So you can do the math pretty quickly in your head. And if paying off a third of the debt seems like something you can reasonably do, a consumer proposal can make a whole lot of sense. A big benefit to a consumer proposal is that your assets by definition are going to remain yours. So even an RESP uh, or a TFSA that you might have lost otherwise, if you file a consumer proposal, you're going to keep possession of all of those assets. So if you have the ability to make some payments on the debts, but you can't afford to make the payments in full as they're asking for, that's when a consumer proposal can be a great alternative to a bankruptcy. So if this information is resonating with you and you want to take some action, give Sands and Associates a call. They've got a 1-800 number. It's 661-3030, 1-800-661-3030. Get that free consultation. Check out their website. It's chock-a-block full of great questions and answers. And that's sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.